Cross-Chain Examination is sponsored by Protocol Labs, creators of IPFS, LibP2P, and Filecoin. They are an open-source R&D lab building protocols, tools, and services to radically improve the planet. Today's episode is brought to you by Parcel. Have you ever wanted to invest in real estate but found it to be too overpriced and inaccessible? Parcel changes that by giving you the power to access the global real estate market with just $1. Now you can own a digital square foot of the most desirable neighborhoods around the world from wherever you are. Head over to parcel.co to learn more. That's parcel, P-A-R-C-L dot C-O, parcel.co. So for as long as I've been in crypto, one of the biggest existential crises looming over all of us is this. Will regulation stifle innovation in crypto? And can crypto and regulation coexist peacefully? Headlines around the world flip-flop daily as regulators change up their stances on crypto, welcoming it one day and being hostile the next. And for the longest time, the gap between lawmakers and the crypto industry was glaring with a lot of miscommunication and lack of understanding on both sides. In recent years, folks who are experts on the intersection of crypto and regulation have come in to fill that gap, attempting to educate on both sides and work with lawmakers to ensure that responsible and sensible regulation happens in a productive manner. One of these such organizations is the Crypto Council for Innovation, and today we will take a sneak peek behind the scenes of crypto regulation in the U.S. with CCI Summer in D.C. So with me today is Sheila Warren, the CEO of CCI. Welcome to the show, Sheila. Hey, Catherine. So great to be here. I'm so excited that you're here. Um, so for listeners who don't know, I spent some of my time as a research fellow with CCI. And so I'm very honored to work with Sheila, who I've known for many years. And I think she's just such a great steward for the industry. So I wanted to start off this conversation with asking the big question that's on everyone's minds. Why is regulation so hard when it comes to crypto? <laughs> Yeah, where to begin, right? It's hard for so many reasons, and that's part of what makes it so complicated. So it's hard because there's not um, an even understanding of what the opportunity is here or what the challenges are across the regulatory environment. So there are some folks at this point who still are very new to the game, don't understand a lot, talk about policymakers here, don't really understand what's going on, why this industry has really blown up and taken off. There are others who are quite well educated and know a lot. And then there's some who have just misperceptions that they're very solidly rooted in, right? And it's very hard to move them off some of those misunderstandings. And that's true globally. And so what you have is, a, you know, and this is true of a lot of places, the difference is the innovation space is so fast here, shifting and moving and growing. And there's new things that are happening all the time. And that's really complicated. It's really hard for any policymaker to feel like they have their head around it. They have their arms around it. So that's the challenge we face on a daily basis. And I'll also say, I think I, we have to point some fingers at the industry it, itself, because the industry really didn't do ourselves a lot of favors in the earlier days, right? We had this kind of attitude, like, how dare you try to regulate us? We are beyond the reach of regulation. You know, this kind of attitude, which not only is patently untrue, because from the beginning of time, there have been some regulations that have applied in a lot of these spaces, but it also kind of did not exactly lead to a collaborative engagement with the regulatory environment, regulatory policymakers. And, and I like to think that we've really shifted that over the last couple of years. And it's something that, you know, I and, and CCI really do um, try to articulate as important is this kind of partnership that we have with these folks who are going to determine, you know, to some extent, the lay of the land. So I guess on that topic, do you think, so there's kinds of this 
kind of this main tension. So in crypto, we kind of tout the concept of decentralization, which inherently means like, oh, no one's in charge. Um, and so people often cite the tension between decentralization and regulation. Do you think these two things are at odds with each other? Yeah, it's a great question. And I, I think that uh, they would seem to be if you only examine the kind of pre-existing regulatory landscape, which is predicated on certain assumptions, right? It's predicated on a small group of folks that hold power within any kind of system. It's predicated on an extractive model of capitalism, right? Where you're really kind of taking out value and giving that to shareholders or others rather than putting it back in systems. There's a certain predicate assumption space where I do think decentralization, it doesn't really make sense. However, I think we should be preparing ourselves for the idea that regulation itself is going to adapt and evolve to accommodate this new landscape that we're all building, right? And I think that's an important miss on the parts of a lot of people. So we often say, you know, there's this whole concept of like same risk, same regulation, but it doesn't always work that way. You might have something that appears to be the same risk, but it's articulated very differently. And the accountability is different. The liability is different. The ability to affect the system is different. So it isn't the same risk. It might appear to be the same category of risk, but the actual way it manifests is, is significantly different. So I think we have to prepare ourselves for doing a lot of education around this and saying, look, I don't think anybody would argue that we don't want scammers in this space. We don't want people who are exploiting people who are you know, uneducated about the topics. That's not good for industry. It's not good for society. How do you kind of deal with that? How do you kind of get, get, get your head around like how to identify and spot and hold accountable those kinds of individuals or projects? There is a way to do it and it is predicated on understanding of what decentralization means and what it doesn't mean, right? Because let's be real, at any given point in time, you don't start off fully decentralized for the most part. You start off with somebody who built a thing and is doing a thing, and then the model decentralizes itself over time. But in that early phase, which is where a lot of scams and kinds of things happen, there is a model that is more centralized to some degree. And we have to be honest about that as an industry and talk about how at that phase do we engage in consumer education that allows people to know, you know what is real and what is not. Yes, real. so much of it really comes down to good education, good communication on, on both sides. Yeah. Um, and so that's probably, I assume, what CCI is doing in, in DC. So I know you had spent the last- I'm certainly trying. <laughs> yeah, I know you had spent the last month, maybe two months in DC. Um, yeah. And so, you know, even outside of crypto, the world of DC just seems really far and removed from my day-to-day. And, and to an extent, it's very mysterious. So I wanted you to give me and also our listeners just a day in the life of your schedule this summer um, as you worked to meet with lawmakers in DC about crypto legislation. Yeah, well, I'll start off by saying, you know, I had not spent a ton of time on the Hill prior to this role, which makes me a bit unusual. Um, but I also think that's turned out to be a tremendous advantage. Because when I come into a conversation, you know, I'm like, I don't know how to lobby. Like, what is that? You know, like I go in and I'm having a conversation and I'm saying like, here are the things that keep me up at night. Here are the things I find challenging, but here are the amazing opportunities. Here's why I personally am so passionate about this space and have put my entire career, you know, into this basket, if you will, all the eggs in the one basket, right? Um, and that tends to be, I think, very compelling content for people because they're like, oh, it's authentic, right? I'm not, I'm not here to, to, I mean, there's things I think are really important that I want to make sure the message has gotten across. Like this particular, you know, way of thinking about crypto is unproductive or counterproductive or is going to have consequences that are not what you think they are, right? We're going to cut off the innovation space. We're going to allow certain kinds of people not to engage with it, whatever it is. I can kind of draw those lines there and, and create a through line. But day in the life, I mean, it's really, it's back and forth on the hill. 
going to meetings with senators, people on the House, uh, meeting with those who are around the influencers of the influencers, right? So meeting with think tanks, meeting with the press, uh, doing a lot of media, trying to really land a very solid narrative that is consistent, that is thoughtful and strategic about why the digital economy is predicated on the expansion of crypto beyond where it even is today, why digital assets are so important to the world, particularly the United States. And frankly, landing the note that the United States is quite behind when it comes to global regulation. We have not been cutting edge in the way we're thinking about this. And other jurisdictions are moving ahead. They're really moving ahead and not waiting for the United States to act. What have some of the reactions been um, in D.C., in the Hill, when, when it comes to crypto? Um, what are some of the biggest takeaways from the summer? Is there anything like surprising through your conversations, either good or bad? So I think there's the industry kind of assumes that, you know, progressives are vilifying us and Republicans, conservatives love us, you know, and I think that isn't universally true, which I suppose is probably obvious, like nothing's a monolith, right? Um, we've actually been able to make a very strong progressive case for crypto. I, of course, you know, come from that side of things with my background. And so I think it's been a compelling case, I like to think. We've had a lot of inbound from various folks on that side of the aisle who are trying to make sense of this and trying to make sure it can be a tool to help black and brown folks, historically excluded people, people in rural areas, you know, those who are in banking deserts. And I think we've landed that in a more robust and concrete way than kind of some of the talking points that were used before. Um, I also think, you know, it's been really interesting to see like this is an issue that does span both sides of the aisle. It is not a partisan issue as much as, you know, we talk about it sometimes, or I think the perception might be from industry or industry players who aren't involved in policy that that's not the case. It very much is the case. There is tremendous people, Democrats, conservatives, Republicans, like all, all across the political spectrum, there's been a tremendous amount of interest here. What I think I did not quite have my head around before this summer here is the tension between states and the federal government around this stuff. And there's an interesting question, you know, what will federal law or regulation preempt on the part of the states? And will there be room for states to, you know, be innovative themselves? And, and frankly, do we want that? Like, it's not a great, you know, I don't love the idea of a 50 state regime where you have to go register in 50 different states. At the same time, there's some innovation at the state level I think we should be paying attention to. So that's been an interesting learning as well. And of course, for senators and folks like that, they're focusing on their state and federal government, right? There's always that duality for them. At a district level, there's that even more micro focus on their constituents. At the heart of the narrative for crypto, I think it's so much more about financial inclusion. And I think, you know, whoever you're talking to, especially senators or even statewide, you know, where they care about their people, their constituents, at the end of the day, crypto is about financial inclusion. And I think it's really unfortunate that I think a lot of the mainstream narrative has run with just like a complete misunderstanding of what the heart of the issue is about. So I think actually sitting down with lawmakers and talking to them face to face, bring a human kind of face and narrative into it is really important. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I, you know, I, I often say like the price of a crypto asset is the least interesting thing you could possibly ask me. Like, it's just not about that for me. But I do think that there's this sense that, oh, and, and here, and the, the irony is this is my nightmare. There's a sense that, oh, this is just something that rich people are using to get richer on the backs of poor people, right? And I'm like, oh my God, like if that's what we're building, we've all failed miserably, right? That's like the worst possible outcome. And the reality is regulation could actually force us into that universe. We could have a regulatory environment like accredited investing, right? That says, hey, surprise, bummer, you're just too poor to be able to make this investment. It's not about how much you know or how educated you are or you being able to make choices that are best for you and your family because you know your financial situation. You're just too poor to do it. And that's kind of the, the baseline. If we're honest, 
that's kind of what the accredited investing schema is sort of telling people, right? It's like, just sucks to be you. Oh, well, you know, that's not okay in my mind at all. Now, not to say that we should not be honest again about the fact that there are people who will exploit, you know, folks um, and steal their money. I mean, that is that is a human reality that goes back, you know, all human history, right? I mean, I don't know what if there was ever a time that wasn't happening, right? Uh, I mean, Ponzi was like what from like the 1800s. I mean, it's a really long time ago. There's that's true, but the reality of what we have to do is focus again, as you noted, on education. It's about education. How do we make Maybe they're not apples to apples precisely, but at least apples to oranges comparisons among these different opportunities so people can educate themselves about what makes sense for their opportunity, for their portfolio, for whatever they want to do. And of course, thinking beyond the investment case, there's so many other things crypto digital assets are unlocking and doing that aren't about investment that, that also just gets lost. Yes, I'm so glad you brought up the accredited investor standard because that to me is just the most archaic, oh, nonsensical. God. And this is a perfect example where yeah. regulation can actually do more harm than good, particularly for folks who right. you know aren't born rich or don't come from money. You know, The accredited investor standard for those who don't know in the US basically says you can't invest in anything that's, I guess, not on the stock market, so not in the public market. So you can't invest in startups, you can't invest in your friends companies unless you have a net worth of at least a million dollars which is insane yeah and the jobs act looked at a little bit of this and opened up the aperture a little bit and said okay if your local community is doing x you can put a not very modest amount of funds into that in this way and that can be you know, all this listed in this way slight improvement and i commend that but not anywhere near far enough and in crypto i do think the default is more the accredited investor model and as i say like it requires you to be pre-wealthy, you know what I mean? And that's not an okay condition. Yeah. So obviously, I think the work isn't just done on the lawmaker side. I thought I think a lot of it should also come from the industry. So people who are building Definitely. in the crypto industry. So on the builder side or for folks who are working full time in the crypto industry, what can people working in this industry do to push crypto regulation along in the right direction? The number one thing we hear from folks that they want to see is use case. They're like, show us the use cases around financial inclusion. Show us the use cases beyond speculative investment. Show us the use case. You know, so we're pulling together a lookbook essentially that just articulates all the different opportunities that exist that are currently active out in the world that are not about. They're not predicated on speculation or investment that have other you know things behind them. And so I think that talking about that a bit more rather than focusing on price of token, go up, go down, this, that, you know, because we're guilty of it as well as an industry, right? Like focusing, overly focusing on that, going on the news and talking about it, responding to all those questions and not bringing in other information, I think is a huge issue. And, and we have to own that we have not done a great job without that. Um, so that's the number one question that we get. And then also when you're talking, if you are talking to a lawmaker or if you're not, I mean, I think your question's more than assuming that you're not, but we need cases that are relevant to those people. Like, what are you doing in this state? What are you doing in that state? How are you helping different categories of folks who do not have access to the legacy financial system? Right? And what is it that you're doing there? That's just one kind of use case. The other thing that comes up a lot, I think, is just being less defensive about this and recognizing like we are still, relatively speaking, in the earlier days of this industry, right? The innovation is older, but the industry and the way we're thinking about building in this space is quite new. And, you know, I don't have a problem saying like the reality is somebody is the Alta Vista Northern Lights and someone's going to be the Google. And like, we don't really know. I don't think any of us can know. And it's kind of arrogant to think that we could. So we're at that phase of development and being honest about it and saying, we need the room to experiment. We need the room to kind of engage in these activities, but also acknowledging when things aren't working. 
I think is important. So no, that's easy for me to say, you know, but I, I think it's it's just it's just something that I think the 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 arrogance that's perceived by lawmakers in this space is not doing us any favors. Yes. Um, that I know we've talked about in the past. And yeah, that definitely grinds my gears. Like just, yep. <laughs> no one's going to like you if you don't act like just a normal human who wants to solve real problems. Yeah. Something like no right. one likes when you come up in their faces and it's like, rah, rah, you don't know anything about this. That's not the right attitude. I agree. Um, so yeah, it should definitely come from, from both sides. I think in this like conversation, um, so one of the big things that obviously, you know, I also sit in a like investor seat in my kind of day job. And so one question I get a lot from founders or just from friends who want to build something in crypto, but like unsure how to best proceed giving um, regulatory uncertainty. Um, what are some kind of best practices? Or do you think that like taking regulatory risks is just part of the job working and building in crypto? You know, I think trying to game regulation is not a winning strategy. I think you kind of have to build a thing that is solving a problem and focusing on that. And a lot of folks, let's be real, you know, did not do that in the kind of 27 to 2018 period. We know that's the case. And I would even argue to some extent in the kind of the very recent, you know, last year or so, right? So if you're actually solving a problem, I like to think that the work that I'm doing and CCI is doing and others, you know, our, our peer groups are doing, um, is going to enable a playing field for that to happen. Like that's the goal, right? Because part of the issue here is, is this just speculative or is it solving a real problem? If you're solving a real problem, you know, I don't think anybody, and you can articulate that and you can prove it. I don't think anyone's interested in shutting off that avenue. You know, I, I don't want to be idealistic about this, but I think that's, I think that's true. In my experience, that's been quite true. So I would say, you know, what is the problem you're trying to solve? Are you building with a community you're trying to serve in mind? Are they part of your process? That kind of authenticity is going to build something very sticky. And even if regulation comes out and tries to kind of kill that thing, there's going to be a way that the community rises up to demand that service. And that's the most powerful thing you can possibly have is your community getting behind you. And I don't mean like on Twitter yelling at people or whatever. I mean, like, actually voting on these issues, right? Like thinking about how important this is to their, them, their families, their communities. That's the most powerful thing that you have. So I would say trying to gain regulations a little tough. There are certainly places in the world that are better or worse start a company. I would not recommend starting a company in China, you know, for example, for a variety of reasons. India is not a necessarily right now a great place to start a company. I think Dubai, Switzerland, the United States, honestly, are good places to start these kinds of companies. And I think that it's pretty well-traveled territory and it's kind of, you know, there's a reason folks are building and kind of HQing in those places. Beyond that, at the micro level, it's really, it's too soon to tell what's going to happen with this space. And I would just say, have, pay attention, have it in mind, follow what CCI is doing, like another, you know, just kind of pay attention, but don't overly index on that. Yes. And and I want to touch on um, the global nature of it in a second, but just for now, a lot of people often ask, like, what can I do? What can I do? It's literally like call up your like local, rep, you know, your local, whatever, politician that like oversees your district because that's the honestly the best thing you can do if there's like legislation coming out um something that's harmful for the industry the power of the people is really really insane and like not a lot of especially i think younger folks don't think about engaging in i think that's right i mean i think that you know getting a meeting in the district office you know with your representative and kind of saying like I engage in the space. I'm here in your district. I hire in your district. I my product works in your district and serves people here. You know, you, you're not gonna maybe get a meeting with the congressperson, but you might get it with their staff, and then you're on their radar. 
you know, and they want to hear from people in their districts. They want to know what's top of mind. What do you think about, right? There's actually requirements to open every piece of email that comes from a constituent. All of this is logged, you know? So it's just something to be aware of. And, and this is true. You know, we've seen this very successfully with social issues, like people just get engaged and, you know, all that stuff. It might seem trivial. It might seem silly, but it actually does move the needle and make a difference. And a lot of folks, when we've said to them, did you know that X companies HQ'd in your district? They were like, I had no idea. I don't know what you're talking about. And then we'd make a connection and introduction. They're like, I had no idea that this was happening in my district, you know? So now it's not true in every district, obviously, but I do think that's important. And when things do come up for vote, which is much rarer, it's pretty rare that our issues come up for vote, but they do come up, then activating and just saying, this is a really important issue to me. It's important to my family, you know, and calling in and just saying, like, we want to make sure that this goes the right way, that this preserves the the innovation space, that it preserves the widest space possible so that we can build these better systems. Yes. I know there's a joke about like millennials and Gen Zs, like being scared to pick up the phone. But if you really care about an issue, that's worth to pick up the phone for. It really is. And it's not, it's not the intimidating thing you think it will be. Like everyone's really friendly, you know, they, they, it's very quick interaction, right? You just kind of say, this is the bill number. I would encourage the congressperson to vote this way and maybe like two sentences why. And that's basically it. Yes. Yes. Um, okay. So, so far we've talked about really mostly getting involved in the U.S. Um, crypto is obviously global. And I think it also makes regulation hard because it's basically a gigantic global coordination effort. Um, do you think the global nature of crypto makes it just impossible to regulate on a global scale? How do you, th are people talking to each other in different countries? Like, I actually don't even know this. Yeah, I, yes and no. Okay, so I think it's important to understand, like, who, who are the peers of people who are in very senior positions? They don't really have peers, right? Their peers are folks in other countries. And so I can tell you, you know, Janet Yellen and Christine Lagarde are really good friends, and Christine Georgieva, like, they are friends, you know, they talk to each other, they are aware of what's happening in each other's no jurisdictions. Um, those, those layers connect at different places, right? So the Swiss and the Singaporeans talk all the time. MAS and FINMA have a close relationship. Uh, through the BIS, a lot of central banks get together and know each other. You know, this is a community of people like any other community. The way that crypto founders and builders know each other despite geography, the same thing is true of regulators. They all know each other. Now, the extent to which they take under advisement what someone else is doing varies widely. And I would say on the regulatory side, more career people who work at the agency is that kind of thing. You know, they have strong connections. On the political side, you know, these people come and go. They're in office. They're not in office. You know, their staff turns over a lot, right? So do they have the same connections outside the country? Usually not. Usually not. And so there's some senators who were like, they did a lot of foreign relations, right? They were an ambassador, whatever. They will have strong relationships. But if they're kind of new, they may or may not. And so it really varies. So on the legislative side, we're often reminding people, like in the US, I've been going in all summer and saying, this thing called Mika in Europe, it's coming. It is comprehensive. It's the first global comprehensive you know, platform. They're like, well, why do we care about that? I'm like, well, every time you open your phone and you have to accept cookies, that's not an American regulation. That's Europe. That's GDPR, right? Like, that's why you do that. And they're like, oh, I'm like, so the effect on consumers is very real because in the absence of some other comprehensive regulation, businesses are going to build to comply with the strictest standard. And that's going to bleed over into other jurisdictions because what do you want them to do? You know, so that's an eye opener for some folks who I think have not thought about it that way. Um, so do they talk to each other? Eh, varies. Do we connect those dots? That's exactly what we're here to do. We do that all day long. That's exactly why we're a global organization from the very beginning. And I took the CEO role here, articulating we had to be global or it was a pointless exercise, in my opinion. Um, 
And then lastly, you know, what do they understand the threat to be? Well, if I talk about China, everyone's ears perk up. Talk about India, everyone's ears perk up. Talk about Europe, people are, tend to be a little bit more naive about the importance of that legislation, right? Because they're not thinking about how it instantiates in the consumer experience. So again, we're here to connect all those dots. I do think that the understanding by those who are in the know, they get that crypto is global. They really understand that the U.S. will miss out on the opportunity if we don't, you know, if we aren't smart and strategic about this. Um, but others really do not understand that at all. High variance as usual. <laughs> so uh, I have one last question. Where can listeners go to follow the good work that CCI is doing on the global regulation front? Oh, well, thank you for asking, Catherine. And as you well know, to follow the work Catherine's doing with us as well, uh, we've, you know, we're, we're on Twitter, we have a website where we post a lot of where we are, what we're doing. We are constantly writing really detailed letters to various agencies about things to educate yourself about what's happening and why it matters. Uh, we have calls to action that come out. So I would say follow us on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter or us on Twitter. Uh, we're at Crypto Council. Uh, I'm at Sheila underscore Warren. And then our website as well, cryptoforinnovation.org or cryptocouncil.org will get you to the same place. Uh, and that's where you can see what, we, what we've what we got going on. Yes. And and just to leak to my listeners, I know we have a lot of um, works coming in, like um, in the pipeline publications that we want to do. Um, we are also compiling a list of resources also for beginner, intermediary um, learners. And so stay tuned for that. Exactly. Lots of good content coming out. Yes. Um, well, awesome. Thank you so much, Sheila, for coming on today, for talking about such an important topic. And we hope to have you on again at some point. Thanks, Catherine. I'd love it. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Cross-Chain Examination. Next week will be episode 10, which is the end of season one. I can't believe it's already wrapping up. We're gearing up for season two in probably September. And so in the meantime, I would really appreciate any comments, suggestions, advice for starting season two and making this better for all of you. As always, remember to subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and follow our podcast Twitter handle at CrossChainPod to stay tuned for more.